0: Welcome to Babel Translating the Middle East, a podcast from the Middle East program at CSIS. Here on Babel, we take you beyond the headlines to take a closer look at what's happening in the Middle East and why it matters.
1: This week on Babel, we hear from Dr. C. Raja Mohan, an academic journalist and foreign policy analyst, as John asks him about India's foreign policy towards the Middle East. Later, I continue the conversation with John and Will, and we explore the Middle East's policy and attitudes towards India.
0: To translate some of what's happening in the Middle East, this is Babel. C. Raja Mohan is a senior fellow at the Asia Society Policy Institute based in New Delhi. He has been writing about Indian foreign policy for decades and is a very thoughtful commentator on India in the world. Rajat, welcome to Babel.
2: Thank you. It's great to be in the Tower.
0: What is India's strategic worldview and where does the Middle East fit into India's priorities?
2: I think it's a very, very good question. I would say it seemed that at the end of the Cold War, the Middle East was dropping off from India's agenda because there was a particular type of approach that India took to the Middle East immediately after independence. Arab solidarity, working for the Palestinians against Israel. In fact, for a long time, we were not allowed to travel to Israel. And the whole sense of that India was standing up against the residual Western colonialism and domination of the Middle East. Post-73, as the oil became... Important. India engaged the oil producing countries. But largely, I would say, on a mercantilist basis, there was no real strategic relationship with the Gulf. We had Indian labor moving to the Gulf in large numbers from 73, 74. The remittances became very, very important. But India did not have a political strategic view of the region by the end of the Cold War. Since then, we have come a long, long way. Today, I think India takes a far more strategic view of the Middle East. And the difference between the past and the present can be understood by three important changes. Three countries of forces we kept reasonable distance from during the Cold War was the United States, was Israel, and the Arab Gulf. For us, the US represented the legacy of Western domination of the Gulf. So we did not want to be associated with the U.S. Israel was seen as the principal problem in the Arab-Palestine issue. So we kept some distance from them. And in the Gulf, we preferred the secular Ba'athist type of regimes rather than the conservative Sheikdoms. But Today, the U.S. is one of our best friends in the region. Israel is a major partner for India in a whole range of defense and security issues. And Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates seem to be very, very important partners for India.
0: You wrote an article in Foreign Policy last year arguing that in an effort to escape the legacy of the British Raj, India's post-independence foreign policy deliberately renounced a security role in the region and abandoned its central role in the Indian Ocean's economic globalization, two key roles it played in the colonial era. As you look now, what can India do in the Middle East? What does India want to do in the Middle East other than go along for the ride?
2: I would say three broad objectives, I think. One, we see uh, partnering the Arab Gulf, which has a huge amount of capital, uh, to be able to draw on that what we call Khaliji capital for India's economic development and India's transformation. And so this no longer just buying oil and getting remittances to one of actually drawing the Gulf capital into Indian economy in a big way. For example, India and the UAE are talking about joint space programs, joint defense production. So it's a very, very rich agenda that has emerged. Second, I think for India, the champions of moderate Islam have become the most important partners because for India... Middle East is so close and any radical ideologies from the Middle East come straight into India because South Asia, the subcontinent, has more Muslims than the Middle East. We have almost 500 million Muslims plus in South Asia, close to 600, I would say. And any radicalization in the Middle East directly affects the position of the Muslims within India, between India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. So for us, the interpenetration of religion and politics between the Middle East and South Asia is very, very deep. Given the history of cross-border terrorism, radicalization, supported by Pakistan and other jihadi groups, so for us, stronger the moderates are in the Gulf. And that's why we see India welcomes the approach that the UAE is taking in terms of promoting political moderation and religious liberalism to some extent, reforms of MBS, and the efforts by LCC, to counter brotherhood, to counter the radical forces. So I think this is a very central existential question for India. And I think there is a lot that we do. With Israel, today we see them as an important security partner. And the amelioration of the Arab-Israeli conflict or the normalization of relationship between Israel and some of the Arab countries recently under the Abraham Accords has worked very well for India. So we hope to build on that. And the I2U2, the new forum that India has created, along with the U.S., Emirates and Israel, is a new way of entering the region. In terms of security competition, I mean, I think India at this point is not in a position to replace the United States, assuming the U.S. is going to retrench its presence there. But I think we want to engage far more in the security politics of the Middle East, And I think that's where we are beginning to look at in terms of how do we help our partners. India now deploys its ships regularly on a mission basis in the Arabian Sea, in the Gulf of Aden. We're stepping up our military engagement with Arab countries. India has a presence at the Dukum port along with some of our Western friends. So I think the security of the Middle East today from having shunned that role in the Nehruvian era, we're trying to reclaim that not solely, but in partnership with the US and with our other Gulf partners in there. I would conclude here by saying Xi Jinping's visit to Saudi Arabia and his presence at the Sino-Gulf summit, I think marks an important moment. If the Middle East is diversifying its security relations, India would want to begin to participate in security politics of the region to the extent that it can.
0: How do you see... China's role in the Middle East. That's something that a lot of Americans and certainly people in the government are quite seized with. Do you buy the argument that China is really interested in economic engagement only and and doesn't really have a military component? Do you think China is interested in pushing out the United States? Does it matter that China wants to have deeper ties in the
2: region? And if so, how? I think for us, it does. For India, the principal contradiction today in terms of the comprehensive picture of India's security condition, is with China. We have a serious territorial dispute, which has become conflict-prone in recent years. China is trying to undermine India's position in the subcontinent. China's presence in the Indian Ocean is growing. So from a purely first principles, I would rather have the Americans be the security guarantor of the Gulf, rather than the Chinese gaining a hand on the oil spigot in the Middle East. That is pretty straightforward. I don't see Chinese are purely innocent economic actors. They already have a military base in Djibouti. They're looking for others. Middle East has been the last area they're making a big presence. But today, China, the opening on the economic front gives it the capacity to engage in more strategic security engagement with the region. And for us, that will be a matter of concern because we don't want the Chinese beginning to dominate our Western Arab frontiers.
0: You've often described India as a medium power. You have said the United States, China, Russia are great powers. As demographics are going to drive India to have twice the population of China by the end of the century, do you see India transcending its medium power status? And what would that mean for the regions adjacent to India?
2: I think India should not present itself as a major power because I think purely in analytical terms, India will become a major power by the end of this decade. Hopefully, India will be the third largest economy in nominal terms. But it will have a number of developmental challenges. It will have a number of other problems. Therefore, I think it will be premature for India to present itself as a great power that would compete with the others. So India needs partnerships in the near term. So I think if India sees itself as the weakest of the major powers and strongest of the middle powers, then it makes sense to be modest. Build the widest possible partnerships and focus on dealing with the principal contradiction, which is the growing Chinese power in the Middle East. So it does alarm us, like Israel, close friend of the US, close partner of the US, UAE, Saudis, they're all turning to China. And I think the US has tended to take Arabia for granted all these decades. And they're looking for diversification. But I hope this is a tactical play vis-a-vis the US and the US and the Gulf Arabs can come back together because I think any permanent rupture between them would be terrible for India and for many of us in the region.
0: You had mentioned this I2-U2 configuration, India, Israel, United States, UAE. It's certainly not an alliance, but it's a grouping. What can that group really do? What do you think should be on the agenda for that group to do? I still remember being at the Indian embassy and the Israeli ambassador said, between Israel and India, we represent one out of six people on the face of the earth. I mean, it's some very disparate levels of power.
2: Yeah. I think giving the aggregate numbers, for example, when we say BRICS has got so much of power, it's mostly Chinese power. When we say Asia is rising, I mean, we're largely talking about China's rapid growing weight. So my sense is at this point, the I2U2 is focusing on publicly on the economic projects. If you go back to Secretary of State Blinken's statement at the launch of the I2U2, he mentioned maritime security. So eventually, I think we can and we should develop security cooperation because in the Middle East, the idea that you can do anything without thinking about politics and security seems alien to me. But I think it's better to start in a modest way pick up some economic projects. In fact, see if the Europeans would want to work with us as well and build from there. But maritime security, connectivity, and eventually finding ways to develop security cooperation in the region for stability is important. So for this, we need the US to be engaged in the Middle East. We need the moderate forces to come together. And we need to prevent a potential destabilization of the region by Russia and China, which should be our principal objectives.
0: You mentioned politics, and you can't do things without politics. And one of the aspects of politics that certainly I'm seeing in the Indian-American community is the sense that a rising Hindu nationalism is marginalizing the roles of Muslims inside of India, a large Muslim minority, as you know. Is the marginalization of India's Muslim community an irritant in India's relations with the Gulf is the treatment of the large expatriate community in the Gulf, an irritant in India Gulf ties.
2: I think the Delhi is very sensitive to that question. For example, there was a spokesman of the BJP who said something on a TV show which was seen as blasphemous, and there was a lot of reaction in the Gulf. And Mr. Modi moved very decisively and quickly to shut it down. Because I think Mr. Modi clearly sees, even last week in an election campaign, he said, our improved relations in the Middle East with Gulf countries is a big achievement. So he's not going to let the fringe of his party undermine his major achievement in the Gulf, where there is capital involved and 8 million Indians in the Gulf. So there is religious mobilization, all that is there. But I think Mr. Modi knows and his party knows that it has to be kept within reasonable bounds. And not let it overwhelm that the fringe overwhelms the more carefully calculated politics of it. So, So I would say they're quite conscious of it. And I think they've managed to build very strong relationships with the region. But I would say, separately, has the Arabs said anything about Xinjiang?
0: The Arabs have said very little about Xinjiang. Partly because the Chinese have said, don't talk about Xinjiang.
2: Yes. So I think... For a long time, we labored under the illusion in India that the Middle East was about Islamic politics. The left-of-center politicians said, we must be nice to the Arabs because we have a Muslim minority or we must appease the Muslim minority because we have a relationship with the Qal. While Ms. Modi, I think she's actually built practical, deeper relationship with the Middle East, much better than the Congress party, the left-of-center parties ever did. So I think he's in a way he's taken religion out of the equation that it is interest-based today. There is a deeper economic connect. But at the same time, fully aware that Islam, the size of the Muslim population in South Asia, so we got to be careful. But it is not like the left-of-center parties who were let the religious question overwhelm them, while Modi has actually, in a sense, taken the religious factor out and is willing to engage with the Arabs in a far more practical way, which the Congress always had to come and say, oh, this is all about Palestine. This is all about standing up against uh, Zionism. This is all about standing against the Americans because that's what the radical elements both left and the right in the Middle East want. So we were laboring under that illusion, allowed ideology to overwhelm pragmatic sense. And I think Modi, in a way, curious inversion has actually... Taking that out, we engage with Israel, we engage with Iran, which is what a major power needs to do, like all other major powers do. They engage everyone and manage the multiple contradictions in the Middle East. And I think under Modi, we're learning to do that in a very practical way.
0: So let me ask you about Iran. Mr. Modi met with President Raisi on the margins of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit in September India has often had robust relations with Iran, about 10% of India's oil came from Iran, and then stopped when US sanctions blocked a lot of the trade. What do you think got done when Mr. Modi and President Raisi met in September? And what do you think is going to be done?
2: Nothing. That I would say Iran has been the most overestimated, over-discussed element of India's foreign policy in the region. Ideally, we would love a good relationship with Iran, because Iran is the neighbor of Pakistan and Afghanistan. They have direct access to Afghanistan. For India, because Pakistan denies us access into Afghanistan, being friendly with Iran, which gives us some physical, I'm talking about land access into into Afghanistan, is a valuable friend. Second, as the Americans have always told us, Iran is the prize of the Gulf, and that its size of the population, its geopolitical location, its oil resources, make it an important country with which we would like to maintain good relations. But for us, the problem is Iran is locked in a conflict with the US and the West. So none of the oil and other things can be fully developed. And it doesn't look like, we hope many times that this conflict will be resolved. But today, we are not there. And the radical approach of the Iranian regime constantly creates problems. So we have to manage our relationship within the bounds set by the united states because nobody is going to sacrifice our larger relationship with the us for the sake of iran a third level at which we saw iran's importance was that it gives us access into central asia because its a geographic location but but at this point the iranian clerics are not great traders i mean they're not like uae or the gulf arabs so this idea that we can draw a line on the map looks great but if you want to open every container to check What is in it, if there's a bottle of whiskey or or something else? So I don't think Iran is ready to play the role of a transit country. But if you take our relationship with the Gulf Arabs and the Iranians, Iran relationship is very, very limited at this point because of all the constraints that exist. While India has about 8 million people in the Arab Gulf, it is barely, you know, not even 50,000, maybe even less, 10,000 people living in Iran. So I think Iran's potential is there, but Iran is not in a position to exploit its natural advantages because it's locked in a confrontation with the West.
0: As a fellow nuclear power, does India have any role on the diplomacy over Iran's nuclear program?
2: I think we don't have any role there. I remember this issue came up when India was negotiating its own nuclear deal with the U.S. The question of in 2005, 2008, how do you deal with Iranian violations of its commitments? India largely supported the U.S. So we're not standing up for Iran to say, look, we somehow this is about defying the West. We've gone long past that approach, which used to be fashionable in the Cold War. But today, we're not going to sacrifice our interests for the sake of Iran. So Iran's nuclear program is a problem. And I would say that our empathies are with an attempt to find a solution. But it looks like even the best efforts by the Biden administration are not going to play out. The more important thing I would say, our stakes In Arabia, today, much, much bigger than in Persia.
0: Let me ask you a final forward-looking question, which is how does India think about the energy transition and its future relationship with the countries in the Middle East? What's the time frame that India is thinking about, and where does India
2: think the chips are going to fall? The war in Ukraine has completely shattered all the calculations. I mean, people thought we were on a transition. But I think as we found the moment the war came, India is the biggest importer of oil, finds itself that when the market gets squeezed, that India pays a high price. And given it's, you know, 90% of oil comes from outside, given the fact that in a democracy like ours, inflation is the biggest enemy. Oil price has a direct bearing on the level of inflation. So for us, I think in the near term, the war has made it much more messier to make this transition. And I see that Europeans, Americans, who did not invest in oil production in the last few years, and now suddenly scrambling to find various sources. But I think in the near term, as we've discovered, oil will remain important. But over the longer term, these timeframes, what we thought were true just even a year ago, today they have no meaning. And what's interesting is the Gulf Arabs themselves are investing in alternative energy sources. In fact, the UAE is willing to support a large number of renewable energy programs in India. So I think we need to keep building on that. But my sense is, as you saw in COP26, the Gulf Arabs were willing to derail the boat by saying that, look, we're not going to let the oil be taken away. And in fact, we were at odds with them. India proposed reducing the all consumption of all fossil fuels, but the Saudis said no, and they have enough influence in cloud to block that. So so I think we're in a messy state. But if the war comes to an end in Ukraine, and we find a peace, then we can go back to the original plans of transitioning. But in the near term, I would say, the oil looks like it's going to be there quite some time.
0: But in 30 years' time, what is the nature of India's relationship with the oil producers of the Gulf, in your mind?
2: I would say, as the Gulf countries themselves prepare for a future without oil, where they're not dependent on oil, Say, for example, we are talking to the Gulf Arabs on food security corridors. How does India produce food security for the Gulf Arabs? How do we generate enough capabilities so that they invest in India's food industry so we can take care of their needs? And the diversification of the Gulf economies, for example, quite a bold, I don't know how realistic they are in Saudi Arabia, but the UAE seems investing a lot in space and technology, in AI and a whole range of things. And there's a lot of synergy between us. But my sense is, at least in parts of the Gulf, there is a realization that they've got to go beyond oil. And they're beginning to do that diversification. And we can actually work with them on this and, and benefit from that transition.
0: See, Raja Mohan, thank you very much for joining us on Babel.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Sean, well, thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Good to see you, brother. So, this week we hosted Dr. Mohan and he gave us a very interesting perspective on how India perceives the Middle East, and I thought we can explore the flip side of that and discuss how the Middle East views India. So, What have you heard in terms of the Middle East's attitudes towards India?
3: I suppose the first thing to say is not nearly as much in comparison to other major powers, great powers, middle powers. Thinking about conversations I've had with friends and colleagues in the Middle East, India doesn't come up very much. And part of that might be because Although there are very large Indian populations in the Middle East, I don't know how much person-to-person interaction there is in a level that people in the Middle East might associate with India the country. So, for example, numbers of Indian tourists to the Middle East, I think, is probably quite a lot lower than a lot of other major countries, particularly given how large the Indian population is. Thinking... Back to my time in different countries in the Middle East, I certainly have seen large groups of Russian tourists, Chinese tourists, certainly European tourists. I'm not sure I recall seeing large groups of Indian tourists. I think that's different in the UAE, where there are more, but I wonder if that lack of sort of person-to-person exchange means that India might be slightly less present in a lot of people's minds. Although India has really long historic ties, religious, economic with the Middle East. Perhaps its lighter role in recent history, if it doesn't have the more recent sort of major interventions that the United States, China has, Russia has. People probably view it as more of a somewhat neutral actor, and they might have less firmly held views about India.
0: In most cases, what I've seen is the Indians that most people see the most occupy precisely the kinds of jobs that are often done by people from Latin America in the United States. And they're laborers, and they're in construction, and they're in agriculture. I don't think people think very much about the country they're from or about the people or their lives. What I think is interesting is there's a level of investor in the Middle East that sees tremendous opportunity in India. And there's so much more elite level interest. And there are elite Indians who engage with elite Arabs at a very different level. It almost feels like they're from a different country. Mm-hmm. Let's say they're the people who are presumed to be uneducated, who are just there to make money. And then there's a whole set of Indian counterparts, a professional class. And you see some of them in the Gulf and other places. Some of them have lived there for decades. And I see much more of a meshing and much more interest at the elite level in this elite counterpart. And then there a lot of it is just their laborers, and we don't think about where they're from at all. But there's certainly more interest in India now than there was 10 years ago or 15 years ago.
1: What trends in the region do you think might drive or are you seeing as driving the Middle East towards India as a partner across specific levels?
0: One of the things I thought was so profoundly interesting about the Mohan interview was the extent to which the ruling party in India now is very like-minded with Israel and the conservative states in the Gulf. They distrust political Islam. They have a skeptical view toward some minority views. I mean, it really felt almost that there's a mind meld on the strategic level that India wants to be a status quo power in the Middle East. That the status quo powers in the Middle East like, mm-hmm. they look at the United States as potentially a revisionist power, and while the Middle East states see China as a status quo power, India worries about China, and sees strategic alignment with the Middle East. So it it struck me that what he laid out was a pretty comprehensive view that would allow for a really close government-to-government relationship, despite, as we discussed, the sense of India's Muslim community that they're being discriminated against. And that really doesn't seem to pose a barrier to close Indian relations with Arab governments anymore than repression of Uyghur Muslims is an obstacle to governments having close relations with China.
3: And I think... Beyond the political and strategic alignment, I think there are several trends in the Middle East that will push Middle Eastern countries towards India as a partner. Certainly food security is one that Professor Mohan mentioned as an important one. And just this July, we saw billion dollar deals announced to enhance food security between the UAE and India and ways in which the UAE is helping India improve its crop production and efficiency. So I think that's one. The energy transition is another interesting one. If we look at several Gulf countries trying to position themselves as leaders in green energy as well, there is a huge potential for that in India. And some of our colleagues at the Wadwani Chair here at CSIS who focus on India have done interesting work on the state-level energy transitions. And certainly The Gulf could view that as a rich source of potential investment going forward. And then I think maybe this sense of just greater multipolarity in the world may push some Gulf states and other Middle Eastern states to look for countries that could play a sort of mediating role or a more neutral role. Certainly during the Cold War, we saw India play a mediating role between Russia and the United States. I don't know exactly how that would look going forward, but it strikes me that India potentially could play that type of role in situations in which there are greater clashes, potentially, or tensions at least between the United States and China or the United States and Russia.
0: And I found it interesting the way he talked about India as sort of a strong middle power. I've been hearing more in the last several months about middle powers and like-minded middle powers. I think the UAE sees itself as a middle power. Saudi Arabia is a member of the G20, sees itself as a middle power. I wonder if, as we look at this great power competition that's going on between US, China and Russia, whether we're going to see a shift in the way middle powers act and that provides a platform for India to in some ways lead the middle powers, not in a non-aligned way, But in a different kind of way, clearly pro-capitalist, clearly with a very strong commercial and mercantile angle, but also seeing an importance in not getting drawn into great power competition.
1: Going off of that, what do you perceive in terms of what obstacles could India face in terms of creating or fostering cooperation with the Middle East. What could stand in the way of that Indian-Middle Eastern cooperation?
0: You need an economy and a bureaucracy and a military that can do all the things that larger powers can do. He was cautious about how soon India would get to that point. I thought it was interesting. He thought India needed to be careful not to get overextended Because reality is to be a global power takes a lot of resources and a lot of people. And I think India's, for much of the last half century, been almost entirely, more than the last half century, been entirely internally focused. And as India thinks about a more global role, it's going to take a while to build up both the strength and the muscle memory to do a lot of those things. India's foreign policy, it seems to me, is still largely done by a very small number of thinkers. Their ministry of external affairs is extraordinarily small. And to think about dealing with the entire world is, I think, largely beyond them. That's not to say Indians aren't capable. Building a bureaucracy to support a global world takes time. China has been doing it for decades and still feels like they have a long way to go. And again, you know, developing the ties that make people want have deeper ties. Also takes time, people and money.
3: I mean, certainly I think India's relationship with its Muslim population could serve as an obstacle going forward. I don't think it has to a big degree yet. And certainly in the interview, John, you mentioned that it hasn't for China, that hasn't been an issue for China, but it could, I think, depending on what plays out. and it could
0: also facilitate it, of course, if the, India's Muslim population feels genuinely integrated. I think there's a question of where Indian politics go and whether they become more inclusivist or more exclusivist. Mm.
3: I was somewhat surprised that there wasn't much mention of Pakistan as well. Pakistan has important relationships with a number of countries in the Middle East. And I think those Middle Eastern states tread a somewhat careful line in maintaining good ties with both Pakistan and India. And should there be a breakout of tensions or some kind of escalation between Pakistan and India that may limit the degree to which some Middle Eastern states can advance their relations with India as well. So that could be an obstacle going forward, depending on how the India-Pakistan relationship plays out.
1: I believe one thing to maybe touch upon a little bit is whether or not from a U.S. perspective, the U.S. government sees India or wants India to be doing more in the region as a possible future actor to rely on?
0: I'm not sure the U.S. wants to rely on India. I think there's a lot of satisfaction with this I2, U2, India, Israel, U.S., UAE configuration, partly because it's all upside. I think these sort of informal groupings are things that people are getting more interested in and the extent to which... You can use this to build common goals and help create common interests between India and like-minded U.S. partners. I think you heard a lot in the Mohan interview that suggested there's a lot that the U.S. government would want to work with India on. I think the U.S. government is happy to include India. I think including India and relying on India are different. But I think including India more, there's a sense that India is a, a very constructive actor. One of the interesting parts of the interview was the way he talked about India's shifting role on Iran. You could imagine that India, as a sort of third world champion, which had acquired its own nuclear weapons capability, would be sympathetic to Iranian complaints that the deck is stacked against them and it's not fair. And there wasn't any of that. His interest was... As he articulated it was very, very different. And I think that's frankly a view that many in the United States are more comfortable with. Not you're gonna be our mediator with somebody tough, but we're not gonna trust you. But rather you're like-minded and we'll cooperate on all the kinds of things we can cooperate on.
1: Well, thank you both so much for joining me and for a very rich discussion. And hopefully I'll see you both soon for more tabletops.
0: Thank you so much, Libna. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Libna. Thanks for listening to Babel. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more analysis on this topic linked in the show notes on the CSS website, and you can find us on Twitter at CSASMideast.